Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I am your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast, and if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. With that said, let's get into today's show. Hey guys, welcome to episode 97 of the Property Renovation Podcast. We're free away to go from our 100th episode um, and that's looming upon us. So I just wanted to remind you that we are running a competition um, to celebrate our 100th episode and uh, as the prize will be uh, £100 or $100 worth of vouchers, um, then why not enter? Um, the easiest way to do that is to go and leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or uh, your podcast listener platform of choice and then snapshot an image just to show us that review and direct message us on our Instagram account, which is at Property Renovation Podcast. Now, the prize is a hundred... Um, pounds or a hundred dollars worth of Amazon vouchers, whether you are in the UK or elsewhere in the, the world. Um, but also if you are in the UK and you happen to win, then, um, you can choose to have, um, a hundred pounds worth of screw fix vouchers, which is uh, a very, very popular, um, uh, DIY store to, to buy your items from. So, um, once again, if you want to enter our competition, then leave us a review, uh, take a snapshot, and then send us a direct message on Instagram uh, to enter into the competition. The uh, prize will be drawn on the 100th episode, which is in just three weeks' time. And, um, yeah, good luck. So on this week's episode, we uh, it's myself and Julia, and we're actually speaking about... Um, is it okay to ask your architect this? Um, so a, a several, um, uh, five questions that we, we put out there. Um, and I asked Juliet because she is an architect and, um, Juliet, uh, explains the reasons why and, and, um, uh, whether that, that question is relevant or not. So have a good listen to this one. Um, it is part one of a two part series. Uh, just because we didn't have much time to do, to do all 10 questions. Um, but, uh, the second part will be going out, uh, in the next couple of weeks as well. Um, so if you're just about to hire an architect, uh, it's probably a very good episode for you. Um, if you look back into our archives a couple of weeks ago, we did a episode, is it okay to ask your builder? this so there was about 10 questions uh which uh we went we went through about is it okay to ask your builder these types of questions um so i hope you had a good weekend i know that the grand designs exhibition um was at the 
uh, XL in London. So if you did manage to get down there and you saw some amazing things, um, then why not share your pictures on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the property renovation podcast. And you can come in there. Uh, we get uh, the odd couple uh, of people just come in there and um, ask a couple of questions about their own project that they've got as well and the community really do help and reply back so if you're stuck on something then feel free to join our group um other than that enjoy the episode and i will speak to you next week thanks very much hey guys welcome to this episode of the property renovation podcast and it's myself and juliet um hey juliet how are you good how are you doing james good 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 um so today we're going to be doing an episode just about, is it okay to ask your architect, um, these kind of questions? And we're going to do it in part one, but we're going to, and then part two, because there's quite a lot of questions. Um, and if anyone is listening to this, um, we did actually do an episode, is it okay to ask your contractor certain questions? Um, that's episode 90. So if you want to go back to that episode, you can check that out as well. So, um, Juliet, the reason why I think we wanted to do this episode is because an architect is one of the most important people that you hire for your project. If you're doing any major renovation works or an extension or loft conversion or even a real, real smart new build or something. Absolutely. Uh, um, so we've got these five questions and, um, I'm just going to kick off with, so, for me as a client, if I'm hiring you as an architect, um, is it okay to, to ask them how much time are they going to want from me as a client? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually personally have not gotten that question, but actually now I'm thinking that I should probably ask my clients and engage in a discussion in that right up front because, um, you know, we are here to not only design the project, but I think a lot of people have heard this before, but architecture is about 80 to 90% project management and only 10 to 20% design. And so project management is a huge role that we play. And that of course is time and it is not our home, you know, it's the client's home. And so we're working on their behalf. And so there's a lot of communication, a lot of decisions and walking the client through all of those decisions and the client ultimately, you know, making those decisions that does take time, it takes emotional and mental energy. And so there is definitely a commitment that the client has to have to the project to finish it. Well, like there's this one project that I'm working on um, in Los Angeles and it has gone on for, it's starting to go beyond the projected timeline, but partially because our clients are just extremely busy people and they are quite honestly hard to get a hold of sometimes. And it's again, understandable. They're both professionals. They're busy. Mm-hmm. We're busy. And so, you know, getting that, that sort of when we're free and when they're free and coordinating that, that alone, you know, takes time to coordinate the time to make the decisions. So yeah, that's an absolutely good decision. And so if you can kind of work out, like what we like to do is sort of, um, especially when it gets to a certain point in the project where it's really wheels on the ground, we're going, we're making lots of decisions. I like to try and schedule a weekly call with the client at a set time. And just so the expectations are set, you know, this time is 
Because I feel like sometimes it's easier to schedule around something that you always know is going to happen. Mm, and yeah. so, you know, Roy's going to talk Friday at 2 p.m. You know, it'll be a 45 minute hour long conversation. We'll go through the week. We'll look forward to the next week, run through the decisions that have been made. We need to go through the decisions that will be made. Kind of one, it sets the right expectations too, but I feel like it's also a very efficient use of time. But yes, you should definitely expect that there will be time required on your part as the client. Mm. Um, we can take on more or less of some of those decision making roles. But, um, again, that, has to be negotiated per client because some clients want to be very involved and some clients are a bit more hands-off. Okay. So um, this is kind of the question that you wish you asked your client in Los Angeles in hindsight, maybe. Did you know, did you know that they were going to be as busy? No, we didn't. We didn't. And I think, um, I mean, everyone's busy. So kind of like we all know that they're busy, but some people, some people, it's easier for them. I don't know if it's just, you know, simply the way their minds work or whether the way their own professions have sort of shaped the way that they work through projects on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people are very comfortable sort of on the fly during the day at lunch, coffee break, bar to cooler break, like whatever, shooting a quick text or email being like, Hey, cool. Saw these things come through while I was in a meeting. Let's go with this. And some clients just don't have the brain space to do that. They need yeah. to like sit down talk to you as a sounding board or talk to their spouses, or maybe there's maybe one, one, you know, if it's a couple, maybe one person is very comfortable doing that. But the other partner is like, no, whoa, hold on. This is going way too fast for me. And then, so, you know, obviously still have to respect that. And yeah. so the pace again does slow down because, you know, everyone's, everyone's got to be on board for it to be a good experience. Exactly. I mean, especially if you're working for a family, like with young kids, I can probably say that you get curveballs thrown in where the kids are not well and mm-hmm, kind of work, work has to take a second priority, doesn't it? So um, that definitely happens. I mean, vacations happen. Vacations. And then yeah. I mean, sad to say, but like deaths in the family happen. So like mm-hmm. unexpected, they'll be away for like suddenly two weeks. Yeah. And it's just, of course it ha- like things, things happen. And so. I think, again, that's another reason why to always give yourself more time for the entire process than mm-hmm. less, because um, it's sort of just like in construction, you, you build in those quote unquote float days. Yeah. And so it's kind of like you need, you need some design float days too, because something will happen where the decision making process will get held up. And so if you can sort of give yourself that margin of time, that's always extremely helpful. Because there's so, the, the other thing is, it's like this, this maybe some homeowners clients that are thinking I'm hiring an architect as a professional. They should just be getting on with it. I trust them. Um, and then there's others that are not co- so, so like that and they, they, they do want to be heavily involved. So yeah. And, and I, I guess would it be fair to say that there are certain stages throughout the architectural process? where you would require the client more than, than not more than less. Yes. Yes. I mean, in the, we actually require them for sort of different types of decisions, um, Mm -hmm. depending on the stage, like in the very beginning stage, when it's schematic design, we're just dreaming of really big ideas. Feedback is very critical to sort of get everything going in the right direction because we're setting out and shaping. Well, one, we're like, we're shaping out several rough visions of the project 
And then we need to sort of choose which rough vision to refine. And so that's absolutely critical. And so that actually, depending on the client, some clients are very good at sort of being like, Oh, I like that. Let's go in that direction. But some clients, because everything is sort of rough, there is a bit of ambiguity there because it's, we're talking more big ideas. Some people find that harder to wrap their minds around because, you know, not all the details are worked out. It's, it's not as concrete of a thing to point at and be like, I like it. Mm-hmm. So, but some clients, that's easy. Some clients, it's not easy for them. But then later on, when it gets into more minutia, you're like, all right, do you want this door to be, or this wide opening is four feet wide enough? Do you need it to be five feet wide? And then they can kind of, I mean, we've gone back and forth on those decisions like for weeks, like yeah. put it at this dimension, put it at this dimension. And so I understand it because I mean, once it's framed and closed up, like in the trims around it and you know, you're, everyone leaves the job site, like it's done. You, it, you can always change it, but yeah, great cost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, or even appliances, you know, should we get the fridge with the water dispenser? Should we get the fridge without the water dispenser with, without mm. back and forth. And so there are different types of decisions required at different points and people have different strengths when it comes to making those decisions. And honestly, like we're just getting to know each other in the whole process. Yeah. And so it is hard to predict how long things will take. Okay. And talking about getting to know each other, um, is it, is it okay to say, to like to ask, can I see some references from you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, for us personally, we, almost all of our work really is through word of mouth. And so because of that, we don't really get that question as often. Um, I believe residential architecture, at least in the United States is still very heavily a word of mouth industry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of getting the question of references, we get more of the question of, can we see images of previous work? Okay. And then that is like, of course. Here you go. There's the book. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. Imagine that there are the odd architect out there that's very proud of, of their work. And, um, probably I'm expecting, maybe not, but I've heard it myself. And it's a case of like, can I, can I see some references before we, we hire you? Or like, what do you mean? Have you seen the work that I've done? So it's kind of like, it, it, it depends how sensitive that is. So. Um, but yeah, I think so. I think it's important to ask references as well. I agree. I think, I mean, I asked the same from, uh, contractors. Yeah. Either from, for contractors, I've actually asked, asked both, both for references and examples of previous work. Mm-hmm. So to be, for the tables to be turned and for me to ask, get the same question, it's completely understandable. Yeah. Yeah. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com. 
and get your project off to a perfect start today. So, as an architect, do you have set fees? Like, if I, if I, what are your fees, or can I see your fee structure? Um, how does how how can I ask that first? Uh, you should absolutely ask that because <laughs> you need to know how much and what you're buying. Essentially, but what what is the best way to ask that? I think it's just how much you cost. Right. I think it's just a very frank conversation, um, open yeah. conversation about, you know, the fee structure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, cause to me, the fee structure and the scope of work for the particular project, they always go hand in hand because the scope of work, how big the project is, of course, directly impacts the final fee. Yeah. And, um, but don't be surprised if even for the same firm, there are several different fee structures because there are wildly different types of project and each project type carries a different risk. And so, I mean, even for our firm, we, depending on the type of project, we structure our fees differently. And so it's not a one size fits all per firm Hmm. because we try and tailor each fee so that it's very, um, it's very fair for everyone involved for the project. Okay. So how do you work out your fee? Like what, what are the considerations you need to make to help make that fee? Um, well, okay. So just to, to zoom out a bit, there are generally three different ways that architects structure their fees. Mm -hmm. One is a flat fee. It's pretty simple to understand. Yeah. Two is a cost, um, a percentage of final cost or of constructed cost. Mm -hmm. And then the final one is pretty much hourly. So those are the three basic categories of billing, the way we would, you know, bill the client slash structure a fee. But then there are also a lot of hybrid sort of approaches where certain phases, there are certain phases where it's a bit more, it's a bit more predictable how much time it'll take. And so okay. those phases, we may say we can do that at this fee, but this phase it's pretty much impossible to predict. So for this work in this phase, that will be billed hourly. Okay. Okay. And have those conversations gone quite well? Cause I mean, in the construct, in, in, as a constructor, uh, con- constructor, <laughs> as a contractor, um, sometimes those conversations can be, um, you know, you have to edge on the side of caution. It's quite a sensitive subject. So it is. How- it is a sensitive subject. Um, it's a sensitive subject, but at the same time, I, I think it's always, I think in some ways I appreciate, I, I always enjoy talking about fees, not because I like talking about money and talking about all these sensitive things, but because it's, I think it's a very important conversation to have at the beginning so that everyone has the right expectations. And I think because fees are, like I mentioned earlier, they're directly related to the project scope. Mm. It's a very, it's a very good way to be very forthright, honest, and realistic about the scope of work, what it's actually going to take. Because I mean, I'm not going to do anyone any favors if I say lowball a price, but I'm billing hourly. And then the final bill comes out to be, you know, 70% more than what I could, yeah. like, I'm only going to yeah. get a bad name from that. And so it's just, 
it's just a really good opportunity, I think, to lay out expectations and so that it'll be a successful project. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, you said like have that conversation at the beginning. Um, I guess at the, not right at the beginning because you need to have a chat about understanding what you, what the client wants. And then, mm-hmm. but almost immediately you need to just get it out of the way, have that conversation. Right. right. Um, and then the client can decide this is for me or exactly. they get the, Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, can I ask you uh, as, as the client, like, how can I be helpful to you? I would love it if clients asked me <laughs> that question. I have actually not gotten that question, but I think, again, I think if um, you are on top of your communication, you know, if you actually respond to my emails and if you actually answer all the questions in the emails, not just the last question or the first question in the email, that in and of itself is a huge, huge help. I think, um, I mean, it's always helpful, like other little things like, the more times you can make a decision and not go back on it and change your mind, the smoother the project will run. But I understand that people change their mind. I changed my mind. I just changed my mind on a contractor last week. I said, let's do this for the windows trim. The next day I woke up and I'm like, Oh my God, we can't do that. What was I thinking? And I emailed him like at six 30 in the morning being like, Mark, we can't do this. And he said, he got the email and just laughed. He's like, I knew you would change your mind. <laughs> so, so I understand when you make you as a client change your mind because it's your home, you're invested in it. I'm invested in it. You know, you're ruminating on it. Of course you change your mind. Yeah. Um, again, I think being very forthright about, um, your budget is very helpful because some, t- a lot of times for some reason, clients, they will hide the budget for so long. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I've stopped sort of taking on those clients just because I just, I can't, it basically, I feel like I can no longer control how well the project will go because I feel like I'm working in a dark cloud. I don't know what their expectations are, but, um, being forthright from the very beginning about your budget, what you can spend is really helpful because mm-hmm. Because I think then from the very beginning, we can have conversations about the level of finish that you can expect. And then so from day one, I can always be the one saying like, oh, yes, of course we can do that. But budget, this is how we'll get impacted. Instead of sort of being like, of course we can do that. And then not mentioning the budget. And then at the end, they're like, why is my home $400 a square foot? I wanted it to be $300 a square foot. And you're like, oh my gosh. So I think... it's just being really forthcoming about budget mm. timeline about timeline when you need to be in and um, being as transparent as possible when making decisions just and not transparent, but in the email chains and communication, just respond. Like when people respond in line to my questions, I love it. That like yeah. makes my day. <laughs> Yeah, of course. And if you haven't got the answer right there and then, just uh, I'm thinking about it or, you know, not just leave it blank because I always find that that's annoying. You I know, you just, agree. Yeah. Um, no, I can tell you if I was hiring you on an hourly basis, I would be telling you I wouldn't want you wasting any of my time because of I'm paying for it. So I'm going to be telling you straight up that my budget is this 
and right. can can we work with it? And that's the best thing. It's the it is the best thing you should do. Don't be afraid of what you um what you what you can and can't afford. It's best to just be clear at the beginning. Right, absolutely. And then I think that I mean, especially when we're billing hourly, um, I always almost micro document how that time is spent because I do want to respect that every single hour, that's a significant number attached to it. Mm. And so it's the thing is, okay. I don't want to speak for all architects, but for me personally, especially because, you know, we are a young firm and we're growing and then you do get to know the clients. Sometimes they become friends. I mean, you become like, I become very invested in these projects as well. Mm. And so I know if I know this is the hourly limit that I have with this one project, especially if there's like a, an NT, like a not to exceed clause in the contract, I'll be like, you know what? Screw it. I'm invested in this project. I want it to be beautiful. Like I love this family. They deserve a great home. And then I'll spend the extra like four hours to find or to get to the right solution or something. And so um, that does happen on projects. Yeah. Don't, ex- don't expect free things though. You, you can't yeah. hire a professional and expect that to happen. Yeah. But, um, but it's a bonus if it does. <laughs> it's a bonus if it does. And mm. I think that, I mean, billing hourly is, um, I understand from a client standpoint, it's very hard because mm-hmm. they feel like it's slightly out of control. But then again, just have that conversation from the very beginning being like, look, this is hourly. Like, please don't work on anything until I give you clearance to. And then, that's exactly how the projects run. And if I do decide to go work on something, like I decided to go spend like two hours the other day researching light fixtures for this one project. We're not at that stage in the project and she hadn't given me a go ahead, but I'm like, you know what? I kind of really want to know. And so I just did that on my own time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, last question. So I would like to probably ask you what are the most important issues and considerations and challenges that you have around my project? Ah, that's a good one. Um, a lot of times I feel like I haven't really been asked that question in that form, mm-hmm. but usually those things come up naturally in the beginning, actually from our side as the architect, because again, discussing the scope of work at the very beginning we sort of will sort of flag, Hey, water rights. It's an issue. Do you have access to water? Will you have to dig a well? Can you dig a well? Do you have well rights on your property or Mm. Hey, you're in a historic district. That means this, we're going to have to go through these different committees, get these different things. This affects the timeline this way. And so usually that does, I would love to get that question from a client, but I mean, it is, Here's the interesting thing about it. Some of that onus is on us as the architects to research and do our due diligence. Mm. But some of that onus is actually on you as the owner because it's your home. It's your land. You in some ways know it best. And so if there's an issue that you know of it, please tell the architect, even, even if you don't think it will impact the project, you never know. And so there have definitely been times when we have been going along on a project and something wasn't mentioned to us. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, 
Oh, you didn't tell us that that was like reserved land that was promised to be open and never built upon. We have a problem. <laughs> Back to the drawing boards. And so it's, again, just the clean, open lines of communication is so important because they literally, that literally translates into time. But just saying to you, hey, listen, um, Juliet, this throughout this, the whole course of this project, if I hire you, what are those, what, what can come up? Like, what are those? Is there anything else that you could think of that could just, just in general for like all projects? In general. Yeah. Um, depending on what type of project and everything, there's always, um, again, water rights can be an issue. Um, there's different types of soil types and different climates where different septic systems, if you're doing a septic system, instead of being plugged into the city sewer system, okay. you'll have to get a special permit or build a special type of septic thing. And that can be more expensive and that can be due to grade that can, I mean, AKA the slope of your site, or it can be too due to soil types. Um, special issues could also be just very local against soil types. How much weight can your land actually bear? Do you have water in your, like an aquifer, like close to the surface? Do you, are you on rock? And so the excavation is going to be super expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like, what are the height, height restrictions? Oh my God. Especially if you're building a new home, height restrictions are huge. Yeah. Um, your HOA and how strict they are. The approval process with HOAs can be very lengthy. They can be very easy. Or they could be very lengthy, depending on HOA. What's HOA? HOA is homeowners association. And so a lot of newer developments in the United States will have, you know, the, there'll be a developer who buys, you know, a whole tract of land. It gets parceled out. And then there's a whole set of like covenants and restrictions regarding what you can and can't build, even down to material palettes and colors, um, down to roof slopes, down to the, reflectivity of the glass. I mean, it can, it can get, mm. pretty, <laughs> can get very Decent. specific. Yeah. And so yeah. honestly, pay attention to that because a lot of times what I can do in terms of making you a beautiful home, that's your specific vision. Sometimes we can't execute that because of the rules. You, away. Yeah. So it can be blocked. Right. And so if you're going to buy, so if you know, you want to work with a particular architect, you have a vision of the style and type of home that you want to design. Hmm. I would almost go, I would almost buy your land while working with your realtor and architect because sometimes you can't build what you want on that land. And so that's actually, that's something that actually surprises a lot of clients, especially if if it's a new build in a subdivision. And again, um, city for city work, historic districts are huge. Um, sometimes there are things you may think you can replace, but you can't because it's landmarked or it's just Con- conservation areas and stuff. Conservations, exactly. You have to keep these windows or you like, even if you want to go to whatever more energy efficient windows or maintenance free, it's like, no, you just, you need wood windows. That's just what's specified in your area. Um, parking and curb cuts. Sometimes that can be very limited depending where you are. Even mm. if you have a court in a lot, you want to have like a, say a driveway that sort of arcs so you can pull in and pull out. Sometimes you're not allowed to curb cuts. Right. And so, um, I mean, I could just keep going on and yeah. on. It's probably yeah, getting yeah. boring, but basically there's a lot. So yeah, talking to a professional earlier on is always, it's, it's better. Good. Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for this episode. Um, but there will be a part two. 
I think we've got another five or six questions in part two to go on anyway. So I can see those boxes behind you. You're also moving out. (laughs) (laughs) Moving soon. I can't wait to not live out of boxes. Cool. Well, we're going to do another episode on that anyway. I'm, I'm excited to see how far you've got. So, yeah. Good. Almost okay. Done. All right, yeah. cool. Thanks. Talk soon. Talk soon. Bye.